Hey everyone, it's Arlo here. First off, thank you for listening to the Intercontinental Football Show with Tyler and myself. If you haven't already, please give us a five-star rating and a review from wherever you get your podcasts. Now, we recorded this podcast early on Monday morning Chicago time before the fire announced the roster moves that they have. So what we're going to do is regroup this week and bring you our thoughts on all of those moves the club has made and the direction the club is going in in this highly anticipated off-season. But for now, this is episode 21 of the Intercontinental Football Show. Alexander again. The bar has continued his run. He doesn't need it! Ignacio Alexander! Scintillating football! Chicago Fire! Federico Navarro weaving his way through, and it's in! A man on fire! Hello everybody, welcome to the Intercontinental Football Show, episode 21. We have come of age. We have so much to talk about. The MLS season for the Chicago Fire is in the books. The voice of the Fire, Tyler Terrence, is standing by fresh from his trip to Columbus to review the season, to review the final game. I'm Arlo White, lead announcer for NBC's coverage of the Premier League. I had a busy weekend, covered lots of miles. TT, it's over. It's emotional. How was Columbus oh. for you and Tony? Columbus was excellent. Um, I had never been to Columbus before. Great little town. Um and I mean that both literally and figuratively. Um, but at the end of the day, it was a uh, it was a bittersweet um, feeling, I think, for for Tony and I wrapping up our second year in the commentary booth. It was a bittersweet feeling. You end the season on a loss, but you put 2021 behind you. You put the you know you put the fire crown and the old badge behind you. You put this season that has been filled with ups, probably more downs, and. You just get a clean slate and the work starts now if it hasn't already begun. Um, and I guarantee you that the work started on the plane ride back from Columbus to Chicago uh, for the front office staff. But um, it, beautiful lower.com fields, you know, that, that is a really magnificent stadium. And I only could have imagined what, what, it, was, what it was like when uh, the U.S. Men's National Team beat Costa Rica there uh, at the end of the previous window um, when they hosted their first U.S. Men's National Team game at lower.com. Again, emotional day. Um, I, I think a sigh of relief for for everybody involved with the club. Put twenty twenty one behind us. Yeah. Let's look ahead to twenty twenty two. And, uh, and is that a, is stores. that an actual tangible feeling and sense that you get that there is there is obvious disappointment with the way that twenty twenty one went, but there's now a clean slate. Now you draw yes. a line under it. It's in the rearview mirror. Like you said, the fire fire crown crest is gone. The beautiful new crest is now everywhere omnipresent it's going to be on the shirts it's going to be on everything and it's the sign and the iconography of a new dawn and and yes. a, a fresh start it feels like that to me even from this distance is there a tangible feeling of that within the organization yeah you know everybody that i was talking to after the game you could just sort of you know it was a, it was a big embrace it was a hug it was a smile it was you know we made it type deal this year has been extremely difficult for, for a number of different reasons. I mean, again, as we talked about last episode, going all the way back to, to limited capacity um, with COVID and starting the season out with seven, 8,000 fans and, you know, the whole thing. So it, it's just been a very emotional, long, draining season for the fire um, that the fans have endured with us the entire time. Again, thank you for tuning into the broadcast the entire year and, and hanging mm -hmm. with us. But um, yeah, it was just that was just 
the overarching feeling from the top down. Um, everybody that I sort of said goodbye to in Columbus, as I'm sure a number of people are gonna are gonna take a little bit of a break in the coming days. So um, yeah, that just that just uh, that was the sense that that I had. But then again, you know, you sort of have to get you have to read the room a little bit and see what everybody else is feeling, and that seemed to be the the consensus, if you will. So um, yeah, just very very bittersweet, and I, I'm sure you know you put time and effort into this into this broadcast and into this club, and you know you continue to be a part of it, and it's it's interesting to hear that you feel the same way. Um, mm. You know, even even a few thousand miles away on the other side of the pond. Right, we're going to have to get into the Premier League here, Tyler. But unfortunately, there's only one place to start, and it's your your no, Reds. Please, please, it's your don't. Reds. A-Dub, a- I mean, a- 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 you know, I got on the pod this morning and A-Dub had a smile on his face. He seemed to be in a good mood. I was trying to not think about Liverpool. We had just finished up the fire season and I'm like not really thinking about it. And, you know, we're we're taking our little break heading into this segment and A-Dub just automatically just has to throw shade and just chooses violence in, a, in a, on, a, on a day in which I didn't think that he was going to do it. And it caught a- me off guard a- and... Adub, you, you've got a right to reply there. Yeah, I mean, you, you guys can't hear it, but I'm inserting a sad violin playing underneath Tyler speaking because we have to feel bad for Liverpool apparently. And you know, just it, you hate. To I'm see not what asking. Yesterday. I'm not asking anybody to feel bad for Liverpool, but you, you know, you just were saying that how you hate to see it. You know, Liverpool lose three one to a very, very, very good what three two to a very good West Ham team. This is a solid group that's going to challenge for the top four. Meanwhile, Adub got burn lead at the last minute, and he's like acting like you know we dropped points against Bournemouth right now who's in the championship West Ham is a good team you guys literally got Burnley the hardest that anybody's got Burnley this season so far listen lads I'm just in the middle here I can see both sides of the argument I've never seen a man as happy with a 1-1 draw at home to Burnley as A-Dub is right now exactly although I think exactly. although I do think the subsequent result at the London Stadium does have something to do with the broad smile that's on his face underneath that Chelsea cap um listen what a weekend another enthralling weekend of Premier League football. I mean, look, I might sound like a cheerleader for this league and with the job that I've got, I, I, don't, I make no, I'm not embarrassed about that and I make no excuses for it and make no apologies for it. It, it. At the moment, I genuinely believe the Premier League is in the best place it has ever been. Um, and you're probably going to see that reflected in the amount of money that hopefully NBC, but maybe, you know, we'll have to wait and see what happens with the rights. But the amount of money that's going to the Premier League from a US broadcaster is going to reflect just how incredible this league is at the moment. The latest uh, managerial appointments of Antonio Conte just lifts it that little bit more gradually. We've got the best managerial talent. We're getting the best players. I think the next step, uh, just as I go on a tangent here, is to start getting the true world-class players like Achillean Mbappe. I don't think Neymar would come here, but getting the true world stars and this being their destination rather than Barcelona or Real Madrid or Bayern Munich, I think is going to be the next step for the Premier League and they're going to have the money to do it because the richer they get, the league gets, and the slightly poorer the other leagues get because they're struggling post-COVID. It's going to create that separation and the league is just going to get stronger and stronger and stronger. That's Arlo, it. can I... Arlo, can I challenge can I challenge you for a second on the yeah. Premier League is in the best place it's been in a while? So yeah. I don't disagree with you from a competition standpoint. And I think that the, you know, just sort of... there There is a lot of parity right now, especially when big six clubs are playing. If United and Arsenal were on the level of Chelsea and Liverpool and City right now, I would make the argument that the Premier League would be in a better place. I'm not saying that the storylines and the competition aren't there. I'm just saying that it would, it, you know, if you have those big global brands in the mix, then it takes it to a different level. And I would argue that yeah. that would be 
that would be the best place for the league. Yeah, it's a fair point. And 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 when I say it's in the best place that it's ever been, I'm talking from a from a like a storyline perspective. I'm talking about the quality yeah. of the games. I'm I'm talking about the depth of quality of the teams, um, the competition, like you say, the parity, um, the 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 bizarre results, the, how just how difficult it is for big teams to beat the so called smaller teams. As we've seen with Burnley uh, and Chelsea this weekend, as we've seen with Brighton going to Liverpool last weekend, you know, we've seen with Crystal Palace beating Manchester City. Um, but you're right. If if you could get Manchester United and Arsenal on the level of the top three, and maybe West Ham are at the moment, then my goodness, because that then reawakens. Uh, an enormous fan base as well and it reignites yeah. a, an enormous fan base and I think you're probably right in saying that Man United and Arsenal perhaps have the two largest followings outside of these shores of the United Kingdom I think Chelsea are there and thereabouts as well um, and Liverpool obviously they're, they're the four teams that are supported mo- mm-hmm. most broadly across the globe um, but but even in even with them being dysfunctional as they have been in recent years th- there's mileage in that there's interest in that, you know, the, the, yes, we'll get on to the Manchester is. derby in a moment. You know, people are kind of tearing their hair out at Manchester United, but you can't, it's like a, you know, it's rubbernecking a car crash. You can't take your eyes yeah, off. You it. can't take your eyes off. No. Yeah. And, and, and with Arsenal, they are re-emerging, slowly re-emerging. And I go back to the point I made about four or five pods ago, that one of the stories of the season, let's hope we get a title race, which it looks like we're going to get. I still think it's between City, Liverpool and Chelsea. West Ham fans will be throwing things or throwing their headphones down in disgust. You know, at the moment, you look at the table, they have to be considered as being in the title race. That I think they will fall away from the top three, but they are absolutely in the mix for top four. There's no question, because as I said on those pods, fourth place and the race for it is going to be one of the most yes. exciting aspects of this season. So yesterday I was at the at the London Stadium with Graham Lasso and I, I've, we've all been on a journey with West Ham United, Tyler, because Upton Park, and it's a shame you never got to go there. You know, I look back at Highbury. One of my great regrets is I never went to Highbury before mm. they turned it into flats and, and Arsenal moved, moved into the Emirates. Um, Upton Park was a very special ground. It was very tight. It, the, the crowd was close to the action. It was a tough place to go. And, and West Ham, by and large, turned that into a bit of a fortress. They move into the London Stadium, and yes, it's double the capacity. Um, they become a bigger club overnight because of it. They got a good deal on it as well. So, and they 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 made money in selling the the land at Upton Park, and that was raised to the ground. But the team struggled. The atmosphere was toxic. It turned violent at times towards the ownership group, particularly after a game against Burnley, when a fan ran out. I think put a put a flag in the middle of the pitch, and they they were abusing the ownerships at the ownership group. They gathered in front of the director's box, and it was all very very ugly, and. It's the stadium that I sometimes most look forward to and least look forward to. The night before a West Ham game, I lie awake thinking, tomorrow you are going to be so far away from the pitch, it causes me palpitations. <laughs> and I, I make the joke on every broadcast. The first one I didn't do it yesterday was that I brought the Hubble telescope with me just so I can identify players. It's the Yankee, it's the Yankee, stadium, it's the Yankee stadium of the Premier League. Precisely. It, when I get there, it, it's never as bad as I remember. So it kind of there's a there's an element of relief. But now West Ham are really, really good. It feels like a home. Sixty thousand people pulling together, and it seems like it feels like they're closer to the pitch now. It feels like they're part of an event. Yeah. 
in cheering on that that team rather than a, an audience that were miles away from the action and somewhat detached from it. There's such a, a unison and a bond between the team and the fans at the moment. It reminds me of Leicester City in 2015-16. I'm not saying it's going to end in a title win for, the, for wow. West Ham United. But all the ingredients are there. Uh, a, a very popular manager. David Moyes and Claudio Ranieri, very different characters, but they're very, very popular. They they have garnered a, a team spirit and a, and a togetherness which you absolutely need in order for the the sum of the parts to to elevate to create a, yes. a better whole, yep. and that's exactly what Leicester City did. Now, look, we didn't know how just how good N'Golo Conte was going to be. We didn't know just how good Riyad Mahrez was going to be, but we so we had those gems. But they still had to be bound together. You needed senior players to 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 lead. You needed a defence and a and a commitment to defending. You needed central midfielders who were going to work their asses off and you needed a sprinkling of quality. And that's what Leicester City had and they caught a lot of teams cold and they caught a lot of teams in games on the counter attack. And it's exactly what West Ham are doing. Goodness me, they are so hard to break down. Liverpool yes. managed it quite a few times. That's because they're so good. But I saw West Ham last week at Aston Villa and they bossed it. Okay, Villa went down to 10 men. But West Ham busted. And West Ham yesterday, having gone into the lead, I thought they went into their shell a little bit. Liverpool came back into the game, but the second half belonged, not the ball, the ball belonged to Liverpool, but the second half as a as a game belonged to West Ham United. And it was such a good performance and such a great occasion. It, it, it almost covered the fact that Allison's own goal, I think that was, I don't think that was a foul. I, I genuinely don't think it was a foul. I think you're allowed to jump. You're allowed to compete. It doesn't matter where Ogbonna's arm was because he didn't handle the ball into the net and he didn't. his arm didn't connect, you know, like, like a swinging arm into the face of Allison. Allison is a goalkeeper. He can use his hands. I just think in that particular moment, he could have been stronger. I, I, I no initially thought... Yeah, I initially thought that it was a foul and being a Liverpool fan and being angry um, that my team wasn't playing well on the day, I stuck with that. But I I woke up today, um, you know, being able to see the light a little bit and I can confidently say now mm. that that was, not, that was not a foul. And I was talking to Tony about it and he basically said that Allison was sort of wrestling with with Ogbana and in doing that, you sort of take, you take away any possibility mm. for you know, the, the ref to give you any sympathy. And if you go for the ball the, and then it'll, you know, it'll look like, it'll look more like a foul if that's the case. But mm. I, it, yes, I think that it ended up being the right call in the end. Liverpool have to be smarter in defending set pieces because yeah, Mikel Antonio, yeah, yeah. Mikel Antonio was dominating Allison. Liverpool had decided not to place a defender between Antonio and the goalkeeper, thus freeing up Allison to go and deal with things. Yeah. He was he was constantly harassed and therefore not concentrating on where the ball was, and that was that was certainly the case for the for the second or the third goal, excuse me, from uh, from Kurt Zuma. Now the next decision um, I have sympathy for because. I said in the call that Aaron Cresswell was unfortunate in that his his leg bounced off the ball and into yes. Jordan Henderson, but his his leg was so high that's why it bounced off the ball in the first place. So having seen Mason Holgate's red card, which I think was more egregious uh, against Tottenham Hotspur, this wasn't as bad as Mason Holgate. But I think Liverpool fans have got every right to to feel that if if we're being consistent, that that could and perhaps should have been a red card. I 
again, my my initial reaction was was it's not a red card because for everything that you just said, that it bounced off the ball and it was really unfortunate that his leg ended up going above Jordan Henderson's knee, which is obviously reckless. But like you said again, it it was high to begin with because it bounced off the ball. So if the ball if you take away the ball, he's probably coming in right you know right at his shin or, mm. or or thereabouts or right above his ankle, which is which again, if the ball's not there, that's probably a red card. Um, but I think that. I think that in today's game, it's a red card. But like, if you're looking at it and you're just sort of like, was there serious foul play of VAR? Like, I just think that yes, at the end of the day, in the in the speed of play and with everything like that, it's probably not a red. But um, I, I wasn't a, I wasn't as upset about the calls and and the refereeing as I was so much about overwhelmed by how good West Ham were. And we just looked, we looked hopeless. We never really looked like we were going to win that game or get a result out of that game. Even Sadio Mane's chance at the very end. Yeah. I, I, I never, I just never got the feeling that we were really in that game, despite the fact we ended up only losing it by a goal. Yes. And I think Sadio Mane will wake up this morning thinking, how on earth did I not hit the target with that? It was a beautiful yeah. free kick floated over by Trent Alexander-Arnold, who scored an absolute gem of a, of a free kick, having been teed up uh, by by Salah in, at the end of the first half great as well. Assist. A great, great assist. Great yeah. assist. Um, yeah. Trent Alexander-Arnold's performance interested me because... He must have been, you know, working to to orders. He was effectively almost a central midfielder for most of that game. He wasn't providing yeah. any width. He's been playing sort of slightly narrower all season, um, but he was more advanced and narrow in this game. And everything that West Ham did that was good in attack, virtually everything, came down the left hand side because they 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 exploited the fact that that Trent Alexander so was, was yeah. out of yeah. well. He wasn't. Out, he was out of position for a classic right back. I don't think he was out of position for what the game plan was from Liverpool. I think he was in the right position, but they needed somebody like Fabinho to slide across, and he isn't quick, Fabinho, unfortunately. Or then they need one of the centre backs to slide across, and that leaves. But him- I think the other, and and I think that the other thing with that Arlo is that we we were just giving the ball away in terrible, terrible positions. Like you know, it's fine mm. if Trent's going to be that high, and Liverpool's going to do the normal thing, and and Trent yeah. Alexander Arnold and Robertson are going to be level with. Mane with Salah with Firmino or Jota whoever's there you just can't give mm. the ball away in the middle of the field there has to be a finished product it needs to go over the end line it needs to go in the back of the net it needs to go out for a throw in or a corner you can't just give the ball away in the middle of the field like that and that's a credit to West Ham and that's they, exactly and it. They, yeah it, it's it, it was more so West Ham executing their game plan to a T rather than Liverpool being you know inferior on the day which I still think that they were but the storyline is more so like you talked about at the beginning of your of your uh, of your rant about West Ham is that they have bought in so so much to this team identity and so much to the game plan and so much to David Moyes that the sum of their execution of the game plan is mm. is keeping them in games where they're clearly you know out outmatched pound for pound talent wise uh, across the team sheet yeah, I prefer soliloquy to rant. Soliloquy, yeah, that it, yeah. it is. It is a bit fancier, and it is a bit more. <laughs> yeah, I think. I think that there is a negative connotation behind behind rant, but yeah, yeah, yeah I'll, I'll, I'll give you soliloquy. I, yeah, and I was I was bigging them up, you know. But yeah. the, gin, the ginger, the ginger monologues, the ginger monologues. There you go. Well, that's a, that's a separate. Uh, that's a breakaway podcast potential. You know, uh, the, I can yeah. see that happening. Um, so when you've got Suchek and Rice in the midfield, they just work so hard. I think Liverpool, last season, they were decimated by injuries. 
all in defence, by and large, mostly in defence. And that's mm-hmm. what did them in the end. It was either central defenders like Van Dijk and Martip and Gomez going down or players that went back to cover for them like Fabinho and Henderson that, that were getting injured left, right and centre. Not not Trent and not not uh, not Robbo. They, they, they saw the season through, but the centre-backs decimated. This year, it's midfielders. It's Harvey Elliott getting a horrendous injury at Leeds yeah. United. Fabinho's missed a lot of time. He came back yesterday. Thiago missed nine games. He came off the bench and was clearly rusty as soon as he came on uh, yesterday. Um, Curtis Jones got a scratched eyeball in training. He missed yesterday. Milner wasn't in the 18. Henderson has missed time. Uh, Kate has we got another miss, hamstring injury. Arlo, Arlo, we desperately miss Genie Wijnaldum. Yeah, desperately. Uh, as was always going to be the case. Yeah, because and, he, and, and, he's, not, he's not playing for PSG, really, by the way. And I'm sure he's got an enormous contract, but he's it's, yeah. that move is not working out for him. And it's such a shame because no. he's one of my favourite players in the Premier League. But you're right, he is missed. And, and Mo's performances this season so far have masked that hole in the middle of the field. And Naby Keita has done a really, really good job of trying to fill the void but it simply was never going to happen. I love watching them play, and I and I really do want them to be in the title race because a strong Liverpool means a stronger Premier League, and, and nights and games at Anfield are just a joy to to, to commentate on and to cover. The, the fear I have, Firmino is out with a, according to Klopp, a serious hamstring injury, his second hamstring injury of the season. He was brilliant when he came back, and now he's lost until what? The, the festive fixtures? We'll have to wait and see. Once he comes back, it's him and Jota, and then Mane and Salah briefly because they go off to the Africa Cup of Nations in January. They could be missing for four, five, possibly six weeks. That is a yeah. nightmare for Jurgen Klopp. Now, look, Divock Origi came on yesterday and I thought he was terrific. In, in little he was cameo, good. He was very he good. He was brilliant. Yes. Jota's going to be good. Firmino hopefully will be fit and you sort of finagle a, t- a front three out of, out of the squad that you've got. But is it good enough to mount... A, a, a title run. The last time Mane left, it was early in Klopp's reign, uh, reign at Liverpool, but he left in the January and Liverpool were second. When he got back, they'd only, like a month later, they'd only beaten League Two Plymouth in an FA Cup replay. They'd slipped to fourth. They were out of the FA Cup. They were out of the League Cup. In the end, they got Champions League football, which I think at the start of the season, back four years ago, is what the aim was. But you yeah. start losing players like Mane and Salah for, for that period of time and it's going to be a struggle to cover for them. So that's my worry for Liverpool going forward. And before they've even gone, dropping points against Brighton with a 2-0 lead. Apparently 250 times at home, Liverpool have had a, a two-goal goal lead. That's only the sixth time they haven't won the game. Wow. Credit to Brighton for coming back. Uh, and then and then going down to defeat at, as you say, a very good West Ham side. But suddenly it's one point out of six. They could have taken advantage of Chelsea drawing, and they didn't. And I just fear that the injuries in midfield having to pick three different guys every week and then what's to come with Firmino's injury and and losing Salah and Mane that's going to be a big obstacle to overcome for Liverpool all right so my Reds will will have to sort it out but do not fret Liverpool fans just keep in mind that we have already qualified for Champions League round of 16 we're only a few points out of the top spot in the Premier League summit all is okay for now it's just a minor stumble and a minor speed bump on what is going to be a glorious highway to premier league glory once again chelsea adubs chelsea couldn't beat burnley at home but he's he's still delighted so you look there's plenty to be happy about for for liverpool it's not worth talking about it's not worth talking about adubs chelsea right now it's just not they're not fun to watch do you have fun watching them adub 
that that is not true. They were so offensive that game, but they just wasted so, so many offensive chances. getting their one goal against Burnley and then and then squandering it, the lead that, in the last fifteen minutes. Fair. There was so that's, much fun. There was so much fun to watch. So I, much I, fun. I, this is another breakaway pod, by the way. You two just going at each other about Chelsea and Liverpool. Just violence. I'm, just, I'm I'm opening a beer. I'm sitting back. Go for it. Just carry I would on. have I would have ulcers. if I if Adub and I had a podcast about that like every single week, I'd have ulcers like just all throughout my it was just it would just be such a bad it'd be bad for my mental health to be that angry all the time with him because we have similar viewpoints in terms of how to support our team, which is just <laughs> with, with violence and anger in our heart. United fans at some point, I, I just I just continue to wonder when is the tipping point? When Arlo does does the board, and when do the Glazers mm. start to pick up on the, on this idea and this philosophy that Ole has just taken them as far as he can take them? It's not a bash against who he is as a person. He's an incredible human being by all accounts. You know him. You've interacted with him. But Manchester City, overwhelming in their win, their press. You know, I'm sure, you know, like A-Dub and I giving me ulcers, that was giving United fans, you know, a, a few gray hairs throughout the 90 minutes. But there's just there's just such a big gap between where these two clubs are mm. right now um, and, and Manchester City come away with three points. Man United had their opportunity, Tyler, to to act decisively and to get one of the greatest coaches in the football world at the moment, Antonio Conte. They allowed... Uh, Tottenham to steal a march on them, having beaten Tottenham. Tottenham, El Sakiko, they get rid of Espirito Santo and they appoint Antonio Conte. They've already lost out on Tuchel. They've already lost out on Pochettino. There is a desire bordering on obsession at, at Manchester United at board level to make the Ole Gunnar Solskjaer experiment and appointment work. Ed Woodward is key in this. He steps down. I think December 31st, he's gone from Manchester United Football Club. I think at the moment that nothing will happen until he goes because he doesn't want one of his final acts as, as chief executive of Manchester United to sack the manager to effectively shoot Bambi in this scenario and be remembered for that, having made the decision in the first place to appoint him. He wants it, Tyler to be somebody else's problem and not his. And it is but going he's to be cutting, somebody else's problem in, in, in January. He's cutting off his nose to spite his face. He would look, he would look more like in tune and, and not as tone deaf if he were to be the one to dismiss it and to just sort of take a hard look in the mirror and be like, listen, we got this wrong. You know, and, and, and as my final act, I'm going to do something logical and rational and something that the entire fan base has more or less been calling for for the past month and a half. It still may happen. But if it's not going to happen after a 5-0 home defeat to Liverpool and a 2-0 home defeat against Manchester City, which was arguably even more awful, not on the scoreboard, but in the nature of how that game went. If it's not going to happen now, and it's an international break, it's not going to happen under Edward. Did you see? I would be shocked did, if it did. Did you see the statistic that United have conceded more goals at Old Trafford than Norwich have conceded at Carroll Road this year? <laughs> I haven't seen that. Um, but the other stats were Man United players had more shots at David De Gea than they did at Edison. No oh god. Is it so is it so is it is that was that the stat? I think it was. Because you had Lindelof, he had a certain own goal saved and Eric Bailly uh, buy, yeah. put, through, put through his own goal. Oh, I mean god. The, the game itself, and the, and this is the problem that Manchester United have under Ollie. Everything you just said, I've been saying for a while, haven't I, on the pod, which is yes. great guy, not his fault. 
in in you know out of his depth you know he's, it's not his fault that he's been put in this position he's been given a butter knife to go into a sword fight with coaching ninjas and and this was always <laughs> going to be the outcome and when you fall back on things like dna and this is how we play we're on the front foot and we do this and we do that and it's all about heart and effort and great you need that you do need that as a football team to be successful but when it's all you've got you get surgically picked to pieces in the modern game by the best teams. Leicester did it. And Leicester aren't having a great season, but Leicester did it to them because Brendan Rodgers is like, this is the easiest game that I'm going to coach all season. Jurgen Klopp did it. Pep Guardiola's done it. It's going to happen again and again and again. They've tried a change of system. It worked briefly at a terrible Tottenham. A terrible Tottenham who sacked their manager after that game. They reverted yep. to type against Atalanta and they got away with it in the end with a, with a, another couple of Ronaldo goals. Rena- I barely said Ronaldo's name uh, on Saturday during the during the Manchester derby. It was it was so embarrassing for Manchester United that they instead of going and trying to get back into the game in the second half, they knew they were so horribly outmatched and outclassed that they prefer to keep the score down than try and get back into the game. And that is a sad indictment of, of Manchester United as a club where they're at with Varane, with Sancho and with Ronaldo. This was supposed to be the crowning glory for, for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. It was supposed to be a title challenge and it is worse. They have regressed from last season. And if the Glazers don't want to fire him, okay, fine. If Ed Woodward wasn't, doesn't want to do it before he leaves, okay, fine. But that's your Man United now. That's where you are. You're in a dogfight for fourth place. You might get a You're already out the League Cup. You're not going to win the Champions League. Maybe you'll win the, have a good run in the Europa if you go back into that. You know, what we'll see what happens. The FA Cup is the only realistic possibility. But they are so far off it because they don't have a manager who is tactically intelligent and sophisticated enough to compete at the top of the Premier League. I have one more thing I want to say about United Arlo. And I've been going back and forth on whether or not I, I truly believe it is it is good for United to have Ronaldo on their team. Yes, in terms of, you know, eyeballs and jersey sales and everything, you know, that's going to come off the field. I understand the gravitas of it and, you know, the professionalism that he brings and how other players can see that. But then there's also, you know, this tactical discipline, this is he going to do the running? He doesn't really play in the system. He does what Ronaldo's going to do because he is, you know, 36 years old and that's simply what it's going to be. But... I, I, you know, everybody keeps saying, who cares if he's going to rescue them on the road against Atalanta? Who cares if he's going to rescue points in the Premier League? I think United fans need to start caring a little bit. Not that there's much that you can do about it, but if they had gone and gotten two players for 25 to 30 million, as opposed to, you know, who are young up and comers, maybe like a Yuri Tielemans or something along those lines, I think. Yves Basuma, I think they would have been better off doing that than bringing in Ronaldo. This has put a Band-Aid over, over a gaping wound, and, and it just continues to leak. And I think that Ole would have had a better time trying to figure out some sort of tactical plan with players who are going to do the running and who are going to buy into a system rather than what's going on right now. I, I firmly believe that. I know United fans are going to be up in arms and saying, this man is res- this man is keeping us alive. He's saving Ole's job. I don't think his job would need saving if if this whole thing wasn't unfolding the way that it is right now. And if he had 
11 players on the field who are going to buy into his system. I understand Ronaldo's greatness, and he's one of the best to ever do it. But looking at this from a footballing perspective and with an open mind, it, it just doesn't look cohesive. doesn't look like there's a plan, and I think that he despite all of his accolades and all of his talent is is at the middle of that along with Ole's inability to you know tactically keep up with, mm. with the other coaching ninjas if you I think that's another <laughs> that's another spin-off pod coach coaching, yes, ninjas. coaching ninjas um this week I sit down with Pep Guardiola a head ninja um head. <laughs> is that what they're called what's the hierarchy of ninjas I don't know head ninja, uh, head master, ninja. Master, master ninja Master Ninja sounds more appropriate. Um, we'll have to look ninja, that up. Yeah. Jedi Jedi Ninja. Now there's a confluence of two yeah. amazing things. Um, <laughs> if Ronaldo, if 2014 Ronaldo was in this Manchester United team, they wouldn't be any better than than what they are because they have no plan. They have no plan. They are caught in between wanting to be front foot, dominant. We're Man United. We won 13 titles under Sir Alex Ferguson. We were the dominant team in England. And we did it with this certain ethos of, of, of front foot and get in your face and Roy Keane and, and then, you know, you quality players. And it doesn't exist anymore. The league mm. isn't like that anymore. And you have to have a level of sophistication. Graham Potter would be a better manager for Manchester United at the moment than Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. I mean Agreed. that sincerely because it's all right having these players. And I don't think they've quite got the depth of players that people are saying, by the way. I don't think when you get Varane is injured and Eric Bailly has to come in, Eric Bailly has barely kicked a ball for them for three or four years. <laughs> Another terrible Jose Mourinho signing. Victor Lindelof, he's in your starting uh, back three. Victor Lindelof has been underwhelming, to say the least, since another mm-hmm. disastrous Jose Mourinho signing. Diogo Dallo, going to be the, the next big thing. Barely plays. Disastrous signing by, by Jose Mourinho. Harry Maguire is playing like a drain at the moment. So defensively, awful. Even Luke Shaw has started to play poorly. Wan-Bissaka is not a wing-back. He's a good defender, but he he doesn't go for He just hasn't got a clue in the final third. Yeah. Yep. Fred and McTominay don't get me started. You have to have two <laughs> players there to do one man's job, by the way, because neither of them are, are particularly good enough. Bruno Fernandes is a genius, but he's having to work too hard and cover too much ground. Every, Mason Greenwood is okay in fits and starts. Likewise with Rashford. Jaden Sancho, the, 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 they clamoured for his signing for three years. He has done nothing in a Manchester United shirt that suggests he's worth $100 million. Donny van der Beek, got clapped on out of sympathy because he just sits on the bench every single match. And what did he do? Gave the ball away and Manchester City almost scored a third goal. It is broken and it needs somebody, not a rabble rouser, not a badge kisser, not not a teacup thrower. It needs a strategic tactician with managerial qualities and man management qualities to get in there and to sort it out. Sean and it needs... Sean Sean Dyche maybe be a better manager because he'd say, right, lads, 4-4-2, this is what we're doing. And they would probably be better off. He's got Chelsea in in his pocket right now, so might as well well just go coaching. He hasn't been home since the 1-1 draw. He's still out. The ginger ginger Mourinho. The ginger Mourinho is still out uh, partying after that one more draw. <laughs> and, and they could have won it in the end, by the way, as well. Uh, but uh, thank, thankfully for AW, they missed the chance. Um, but that, that's where I am with, with, with Manchester United. They are caught in between identities and they just don't have one. And after the break, they go to Watford. 
And that's not going to be an easy task either. You know, it's just going to get harder and harder and harder. But if Man United don't want to make the switch, this is what you're going to get. And it's bad. It's like the old cliche. Was it the Einstein quote? The definition of madness is keep doing the same thing and think and the, the different results. Expected different yeah. results. Insanity. That's where you're not yeah. insanity. That's where Manchester United are, sadly, at the moment. It is clear that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer isn't good enough for the job. He's a legend. Come to a mutual agreement, give him an ambassadorial role, build a statue of him scoring in the new camp in the 99 Champions League final, but relieve him of his duties and get somebody in who is a world class manager. All right, Arlo, while we're on the topic of managers, you might as well address the uh, the giant elephant in the room. Dean Smith out as the Villa manager, um, although there are reports that he could make a quick return uh, to, to coaching again, as I'm sure there, there are a number of teams that might want to employ his services, whether you know be teams coming up, whatever it might be. Um, we have some news with, with North City as well. Farka is out. And then, of course, Eddie Howe getting the Newcastle job. Let's start with Villa, Arlo, because this is your, mm. uh, this is your secondary team if Leicester City were, were to ever vanish from the face of the earth. Um, it's, and it's, it's disappointing. I think Dean Smith is a good coach. Um, there are rumors that Steven Gerrard, Roberto Martinez are all up for, up for potentially the Villa job. Um, but, but a new, new era coming in, um, for Peaky Blinders FC. Yes. And I have sympathy for Dean Smith and, um, this is a brutal game. Tyler, it's a brutal business. The, the, the sport doesn't wait for anybody. And Dean Smith took over a, a, an ailing team, 15th in the championship, the lowest point they've been since the early 70s. This is a team that's won the European Cup in the 80s, won the, won the league in the 80s, and they were on hard times. Dean Smith is a lifelong Villa fan. He's got the club in his, in his bones, but they lost five in a row. Yes, mm-hmm. he, he lost Jack Grealish at the end of last season. I thought they made some really good signings. He's never been able to get all of his new signings on the pitch at the same time. He, he's been dealt a couple of really, really bad cards, Dean Smith. But five defeats in a row, there's, very, there's nowhere to hide these days. The owners are incredibly ambitious. They decide, and, we, and I always think this as well, Tyler, when there, when there is a, a managerial sacking, we don't know what's going on behind the scenes. We don't know who's fallen out with who. We don't know if the players have revolted. We don't know what the situation is every day in training. Um, but they've definitely dropped off, and, and their standard of performance has been poor, and it has been poor since New Year's Day in the Premier League. They've got the worst record in the Premier League since the turn of the year. So the writing was on the wall. And I understand people saying, oh, I'll give him more time. This is a disgrace. The football's a brutal business. It, it is. It's just what it is. By the way, Dean Smith will walk away with millions of pounds in severance. Yes. So let's not, you know, he's a great guy. He's a terrific manager. Let's not act like someone was killed here. Yeah, he's yeah, a manager that walks up and he's free to take another job tomorrow if he wants to, so we can get the old double bubble in payments if, if, he, if he wants to. Professionally, it's really sad. He loves that club and he's done a great job. He got them to a cup finally, kept them up. They were competitive last year with Jack Grealish. Now he's had to rebuild and he's just simply run out of time. Um, and that's, that's the business we're in. So where Villa go from here, Stephen Gerrard is, you know, on the, on the, on the, on the horizon. Maybe he's done a great job at, at Rangers. This is a different kettle of fish entirely, by the way, than Scottish. I football. would like to see it as a Liverpool fan. And as you know, the heir to the throne for Steven Gerrard, I would like to see him get a job before he goes to Liverpool in the Premier yeah. League. Yeah. I do not want his first foray into the Premier League to be in charge of Liverpool. Cause I do not think that that is going to go well. 
for all the reasons we've dis- we've um, described before, although I think as a manager, he's he's got a better track record than Oli before he got the Manchester United job. But I totally agree with you. Um, Frank Lampard has been mentioned for Norwich, potentially. That's an interesting move. If it doesn't work out at Norwich for Frank Lampard, should he take that job? Where does he go from there? I, I have no idea. The, the November international break, all managers, if you lost a couple of games, are like, oh my God, I've just got to get through the November international break. Because Norwich won. They won for the first time this season at Brentford. And then hours later, Daniel Farker relieved of his duties. But that's because of the body of work. What Norwich did, which was inexplicable, was give him a new contract in July. So they've got to pay an absolute boatload of money to Daniel Farker unless they had any clauses in that contract. Bearing in mind what happened the last time they came up and how poor they were in the Premier League, here's here's a manager and a squad of players that can dominate the championship. They can win the championship with 90, 100 points and just kind of blow everybody away. And when they come up with the big boys, they just can't compete. And to give a guy a a four-year contract in July ahead of his second Premier League season... Just wait until Christmas. See how it's going. Yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs> and then give him a new contract because he's happy at the club. He's already got a contract. He's going nowhere. Farker did a brilliant job for, for Norwich. He he the the a not a good friend of mine is a Norwich fan and said that the, the relationship with the fans he felt as connected to Norwich City and what they were doing as, as he had done in a generation because of Daniel Farker and his approach. But he wasn't cutting it in the Premier League. Again, it's a brutal business. Norwich don't want to be a yo-yo club. They want to stay and give the Premier League a good go. They felt like it wasn't happening. It's They're well within their rights to go in another direction. The thing is for Norwich, they don't have billionaire backers. They don't have uh, an, a, a, an Emirati state that's funding them. They don't have a Saudi Arabia <laughs> uh, hedge fund, whatever it's called, yeah. uh, backing them. They have the public um, investment fund. The mo- it's very the public, public investment. <laughs> yes, indeed, they have the equivalent. And I, 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 this is no word of a lie. They have the British equivalent of Martha Stewart as their as their owner. Um, in terms nice. of being like a, 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 a you know a, a celebrity chef, if you like, for want of a better phrase, mm. an author. Um, so you know she's got money, but she doesn't have Premier League money. Uh, Delia Smith, her name, her name is. So look, every club is free to do what they want to do, and and Norwich City have have, have chosen this this path and this course. It's going to be fascinating to see who they appoint. What do you make of the Eddie Howe appointment at Newcastle United and where they are at this point? I have always been a massive, massive fan of Eddie Howe. He seems to be able to galvanize a locker room. He clearly, you know, did a really good job with Bournemouth when they were sort of hovering in the Premier League in the middle of the table and, you know, giving teams a run for their money. I have always been a really big fan of Eddie Howe. And um, I thought that there were a couple of jobs that he certainly could have gotten that were a a higher status than his position at Bournemouth. Um, A-Dub made the comment before we came on that Villa are going to be very upset that, Eddie Howe ended up going to Newcastle. I don't know if Eddie Howe would have wanted the Villa job. I think that he wants to take another step and have a little bit more money, some more toys to play with, and see what he can do against some against some of the big, big boys. Because there is a there's a lower ceiling with Villa, obviously, than there is with Newcastle right now. So yes, Villa might be upset that one of a potential candidate is off is off the market right now. But um, I think Newcastle got got a very good manager. I don't think it's as grabby as an ex, as as ex, as sexy, excuse me, as Newcastle fans were hoping for, but I do think that they got a very very good coach um, who I, I I'm interested to see how he's going to do um, with, with that many resources at his disposal compared to jobs past. 
Yep, absolutely. It's, it is going to be fascinating. Um, I think he is a great manager, um, although he did take Bournemouth down. Having said that, Bournemouth, he kept them in the Premier League. They finished ninth one season. Yeah. Bournemouth yep. are tiny. They, their crowd holds 11,000. So what he did there should be judged on what happened to get them into that position rather than eventually going down because Bournemouth at some point were always going to be relegated. They just couldn't compete at that level. Okay then, TT, um, we go into something of a hibernation, don't we, for international break. We'll see how the US men's national team do. England should qualify, hopefully. They play Albania this Friday. Come on, lads, get the three Lions to Qatar next year and come on, US men's national team. I'm wearing... Um, my Chicago Fire Crest, Fire Crown, sorry, Crest uh, tracksuit top. This is mm-hmm. now going to be officially retired. So just a quick note to the Chicago Fire swag department. If it hasn't been sent already, can I get a box full of swag with the new Crest on, please? Thank you. Next weekend, Tyler, <laughs> I'm away with the boys. I'm going away with Are the boys. You? And you know where I'm going? I mean, as a 48-year-old man, we're all in the same age bracket university Vegas. buddies no <laughs> if, if only if only we we are going to a butlins holiday camp which is exactly what it sounds like it's chalets and it's it's dance hall stuff but the twist is during the winter months they hold uh, weekend events and it's called shine on and it's uh, 80s and 90s music weekend but like rave music, indie music, loads of old bands playing, the Happy Mondays, all that sort of stuff, dance tents. We are going for an old style, old school, 80s, 90s weekend away together. I, have, I, I cannot wait. I have so many questions. I don't understand. I, I, I don't know. So, so is it like an adult camp for is it like am I, am I, I'm imagining some sort of 80s and 90s Woodstock in which there's a bunch of is that is that accurate? Absolutely, yeah. I'd be surprised if there was anyone under the age of thirty eight there. So A Dub can go. Just about. <laughs> <laughs> I'm cutting that. I am cutting an unnecessary shot. <laughs> unnecessary five five yards. Unnecessary jibe. Um, yeah, I've got to pull you up on that one side. I know this is going to be amazing. It's going to be forty eight hours of bedlam, um, oh. and 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 Sunday. Uh, we, we will we won't do a pod on Sunday, but Sunday just text if you haven't heard from me, um, just just reach out. Yeah, because I, I do you want to share might, do you share your location? Do you want to share well, your location with AW and I now, just so that if we do need to come and find you? Listen, everybody, it's Butlins in Minehead in Somerset in the southeast of England. South, yeah, that's southwest the most, of England. That's the most English thing you've ever said. I, it, I don't know what yeah. any of that means, but it's very English, and it sounds like it's going to be a great time. We're, we're getting our rave on next weekend. Are you going oh. away with the boys as well? You know, it's funny that you mentioned going away with the boys because uh, all of my college soccer buddies wanted me to cordially extend the invite to you to come over to this side of the pond and join us uh, in La Jolla um, in San Diego for for a little weekend with the boys. Uh, we got an Airbnb on the beach. You you are invited, but clearly you have your own Butlins uh, Butlins extravaganza <laughs> to go to. That's 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 what that's I'm, what. I'm hold on, I'm having second thoughts about Butlins now. I, I could be there. I could be there by Thursday, <laughs> San Diego on the beach. I'm, I'm in. Sorry, lads. Sorry, lads. I'm out. I'm out. 
I'm going to yep. America well, with Tyler. <laughs> <laughs> you are invited, but clearly you, you have other plans. But I, I, you know, these these are the boys. These are, you know, my rider dies, teammates for life. That was sort of our motto when we were playing together. Um, scattered all across the continental United States. And uh, we don't get together too often, but when we do, um, it's, it's, it's a raucous occasion. Um, there's not going to be 80s, 90s rave, you know, type, type vibes, but, you know, beach, drinks, La Jolla, like it is going to be fantastic. Um, and, and we wish you could be there. We really do. Well, all, well, all the I'm, boys I'm wanted me to extend the invite. We need to get the boys together and I can be a part of it next summer at some point when I come across to Chicago. We have a couple of of spare days in the week and we'll head somewhere. Right, listen, we'll sign off for now. Look out for later this week. We're going to do another pod with the State of the Union of the Premier League after 11 match rounds. Look out for this spin-off pods. Uh, Coaching Ninja, that's going to be one. Ginger Monologues, that's going to be another. Uh, TT and A-Dub Go (laughs) At It, which is going to be a great spin-off. I'm looking forward to that. Stick with us, everybody. Please rate. Please please leave your messages and, uh, and we will be back with you later this week and hopefully Tyler and I both survive. The phrase of that next weekend is big fish, little fish, cardboard box. I'll leave you with that. <laughs>